Welcome to the Blaze and Bush Podcast. I'm Jeff Bush, and along with my co-host Jim Blaze, we are here to share with you authentic stories of God's extraordinary revelation in ordinary lives. Our hope is that like Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3, you may encounter the Lord through these humble experiences. Jim, today we have in the studio Father John Schneier. Hello. Father, hello. welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's a great, great joy to be with you guys. Well, we feel very blessed that you are here and have taken the time out of your extremely busy schedule to come on the Blazing Bush podcast. Yeah, it it means a, a lot to us. and It's a pleasure. It really is. You know, it's, it's a joy to be with parishioners and even just to participate with them in some of the ways that everyone's trying to grow deeper in our Catholic faith and evangelize. So any, anything that I can do to help that is, is easy for me. Well, wonderful. And Jim put together a series of questions that are just absolutely <laughs> brutal. Grilling. <laughs> We're going to grill them. <laughs> so hopefully you can handle the next seven or eight hours with us okay. to completely unwind every moment of your life. <laughs> but Father, one of the things that is really the main focus of the Blazing Bush podcast is to share stories of how God has revealed himself throughout lives and just how the Lord's impact has shaped his children. And today, really what we want to start off initially is is getting a feel for your faith journey. And sure. really, how has God manifested throughout your life from youth all the way to the priesthood? Sure. Honestly, going back to the beginning, I'm blessed with two wonderful parents, Larry and Patty. We grew up in St. Ferdinand Parish. Uh, my folks are North County born and bred, and in typical St. Louis fashion, they grew up and uh, lived 10 minutes from their, grand, from their parents. But uh, yeah, I grew up in North County in St. Ferdinand Parish. The oldest of three, got a younger sister, Julie, and a younger brother, Kevin. Julie's 18 months younger than me, and Kevin is about five years younger than me. Great family to grow up just a loving home. Uh, everybody in our family was Catholic. And um, just growing up from a young age, my family was really, really involved in our parish. Dad was on the finance committee for like 12 years. Uh, he's an accountant by trade. My mom canters at the 7 a.m. mass. She's done that since uh, I was about two. She was also involved in home and school, you know, like your, your PSO organization. She also ran all of the parish picnic raffle baskets every year. So Leading up to the parish picnic, we just had gobs and gobs of stuff in our basement that would eventually be put into basket form. So we were all just really involved, you know, athletics as well. You know, and we, we knew our priests on a first name basis. We would have them over for dinner on occasion. We, we knew a lot of people at the parish. We were very involved. And it was just a really good environment to grow up in. All of our friends were parishioners, uh, people that I was in school with, you know, or just people that we, we worked with at the parish. All of our friends, a lot of our social life was just around the parish. So that was, it was a really great blessing. It was a really great environment to, to grow up in. So even from a young age, just the idea of just having a relationship with God was was pretty central. You know, we went to church every every Sunday. That was non-negotiable for us. Uh, preached in various homilies about how stingy my parents were on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> vacations, you know, no, no, non-negotiable. We're we're going to mass. Even kind of even going back, just even from as a toddler, the, the idea of me being a priest was something that that wasn't all that foreign. Honestly, I wouldn't say it was ever at the forefront of my mind, but. 
it, it was never foreign either. There, there's actual video footage of me at like age three or four playing mass at lunch with my bologna sandwich and Kool-Aid. Um, <laughs> yes, actual footage. Um, my Can we get a copy of that, by the <laughs> way? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's been mysteriously lost, like all the, uh, all the lost Johnny Carson episodes. Now, uh, you did say that you would do whatever we needed. <laughs> <laughs> we have that recorded. <laughs> it's, uh, no, I did, it, we, we brought it out, actually, at my ordination banquet. It was kind of cool. That's awesome. Uh, oh, but, I bet. Yeah, I, I was that weird kid who would sing insanely loud at Mass. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think at one point we played Holy Thursday with my siblings. As long as you don't feet. play Good Friday, I think that's where you draw the line. Yeah, I, w- we, I would draw the line there. <laughs> yes, uh, we 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 made sure to keep all hammers and nails and other power tools <laughs> away from uh, from mostly my younger that's, brother Kevin. That's good thinking. <laughs> <laughs> mostly him. So yeah, even from a young age, the idea of being a priest uh, and just being involved in the parish was it, it was just kind of there. Again, never really at the forefront of my mind uh, vocation, but. Um, but it, but it was just certainly there. It was present, and again, just the, the the familiarity we had with our parish priests was something that was very helpful. And it took away a little bit of the, for lack of a better word, the the mystique, or at least the maybe the the holy fear you could say yeah. of, of entering into a vocation. It's like, oh, okay, you know, Father, Father Mike, Father Mike Murphy, Father Rich Rath, you know, Father Gary Gebline, you know, all these great priests who came through our parish. You know, we had them over for dinner. So, did you have any priests or any deacons? Or anybody living the religious life in your family heritage? I mean, well, well, well before I was born. My great, great uncle, I think, was a Jesuit who worked at St. Louis University. Father Jack O'Brien, I think. Yeah, Father John O'Brien. I mean, he he probably died about 60 years ago. But he, he is in my family background. I've got a, a St. Christopher medal of his uh, that my great aunt gave me when I, when I told the family I was going into the seminary. But nobody... In, any recent years? Yeah, no direct could, witness. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I had a great aunt who was in the convent way back in the sixties and seventies, but she left short, shortly thereafter. But yeah, it uh, no nobody really directly in the family, at least that I, that I had as a like a direct concrete role model for that. It was really just the examples we had in the parish. So yeah, kind of moving through grade school, pretty typical grade school experience. Played a lot of sports. Huge baseball guy. I'd say about yeah about sixth grade or so, I started playing select baseball and. I played a lot of it, about 60 games a summer, give or take, with practice maybe one or two nights a week. And it was awesome. I enjoyed it. But I think as that kind of continued through middle school, yeah, I think in many ways it, my faith kind of took a back seat to that. I, I enjoyed baseball a lot, um, and I loved it. For me, at least, it became a little bit more internally important, you could say, uh, than my Catholic faith. Obviously, I mean, I never never like you know, gone away or fallen away from it. Right. But, you know, again, my parents would have... <laughs> it, it would have been bad if I did, but but yeah, just internally, I I seem to probably enjoy that more than than going to mass on Sundays. Yeah, this is even I, I eventually I played piano. I played piano since I was three, and I also played piano with my mom at that seven a.m. mass uh, mm-hmm. from seventh grade onward through high school. And it was a great highlight. But even then, you know, it's, mass felt a little bit like my job mm-hmm. as opposed to something that uh, was was authentic and from the heart. Around middle school, that kind of you know. Other things kind of seemed to take a bigger priority for me. Uh, that continued into the early years of high school. Went to SLU High, graduated from there in 2010. It was an awesome experience. I enjoyed it a lot. Met a lot of great people there, a lot of lifelong friends. And but again, you know, freshman and sophomore year, you know, high school's all about new opportunities. You know, you actually like have a social life in <laughs> high school. And 
again, it, was, I mean, it wasn't like I was doing anything bad. I was never a partier or anything like that. But, you know, all the great things that are just a part of a high school experience, I, I really loved and embraced. And again, I think sometimes to the detriment of really fostering that relationship with God. Loved going to like sporting events and stuff on, on weekends. And, you know, by the time Sunday morning rolled around, you're just kind of tired. Sure. Right. And so I was like, okay, I'll get up and do the seven. And again, still felt like more, more like a job. But things kind of turned around a little bit. Uh, it was around my junior year of high school. Summer before my junior year, my mom had a bit of a health scare in, in her life. She had to have uh, some abdominal surgery. She had some benign tumors. She had to get removed. And their surgery went fine, but she also she went back into the hospital a couple days later because she had some internal bleeding. And long story short, she ends up in the ICU. Her blood pressure dropped at one point to 50 over 20. Oh, um, wow. She came about 30 seconds to a minute away from dying. Basically, the dam burst inside of her, and she was losing all this blood internally. She had no no blood pressure. I mean, her veins had basically dried up. So, by the grace of God, an anesthesiologist took a, a central line, pretty thick, about the size thickness of a pencil or so, and just jammed it into her thigh, caught her femoral artery, and they were able to basically give her a full body transfusion of blood. She had emergency surgery, and she was in the ICU for like three days. Oh man. This, this was the summer before my junior year, and it was a very jarring thing knowing how close my mom came to death and just seeing her having to recover from this for about six weeks. And you really kind of ask a lot of big what-if questions. You know, there, I never had anything that traumatic, you could say, happen to me up until that time. And, you know, for a 15-year-old kid who, you know, it was kind of, you know, the first big you know, life coming at you fast moment. And in the days that followed, I, I was a golf caddy at St. Louis country club at the time. There was nobody golfing those next two days. I just sat in the bag room for like five hours each day and just had nothing to do except think. And you really, you really just thought, you know, what, what's most important, you know, are God and my family, the most important thing for me. And if not, why? And I kind of had to look in the mirror and be like, I certainly love God and I love my family, but has it really been the biggest priority for me in my life? And I honestly had to say, no, Again, it wasn't like I was doing anything bad, but it, it was it was all good stuff. But seemingly the the okay stuff was taking a priority with that which should have been you know the best. Uh, really, just was all to kind of help my mom as much as I could in her recovery, and you know she recovered about a month and a half later. Really made a point to get after that get more involved in campus ministry at Slough High, getting going on good retreats and just hanging out with people that made the faith a priority. And just in the course of that, the idea of being a priest sort of came back into the picture. We were always blessed with uh, seminarians that would come back to Slough High for all school masses who were in the diocesan seminary and got to know some of them and would occasionally go to the seminary for various vocations events and just kind of feeling it out a little bit. And the idea kind of came back, you know, okay, this is something that I could maybe do. And really it was seeing the seminarians, just how normal they were, was, uh, was very reassuring for me. I have a big personality and I didn't want to be sort of forced to become someone different than who I am. Great. One of the great things you learn in the seminary is that grace builds on nature. It doesn't destroy it. Uh, it builds off of who we are, and aug- it augments that which makes us good and, and affable and, and unique, rather than turning you into someone completely different. And I was like, okay, I, I can live with that. I can live with at least augmenting what makes me me, rather than having to turn into someone that I know that I'm not. And so it was the summer before my senior year uh, that I that I decided I was I was going to enter the seminary. We'd also like a month before that, some good family friends of ours, uh, a family friend of ours, had gotten ordained to the priesthood in Bismarck, North Dakota, and we went up there for our family vacation. Did the Mount Rushmore, Badlands, the whole deal. Uh, it was be- beautiful part of the country if you'd never been there, and 
just seeing that ordination, it's the first time I'd ever seen the whole ceremony in, in full. It was just so beautiful and, and and just awe-inspiring to see, you know, those guys literally laying down on the cathedral floor to give their lives for Christ. And kind of was like, okay, maybe this, this is pretty cool. This is something that, that I might want to do, you know, perhaps. And so shortly thereafter, I made the decision that I was going to enter seminary after my senior year of high school and did that. I was in college seminary for three years, had a year of college knocked off, thankfully, from college credit. So I did seminary in seven years and uh, was ordained back in 2017, and I've been assigned to St. Joe's ever since. That's kind of just a progression, at least, of where I've been in terms of my, my faith journey, but also kind of tied in with my vocation. Yeah, Father, thank you. Well, thank you for walking us through your journey in that detail. There's, You went through it relatively quickly and relatively easily. <laughs> but Jim, as, as I'm sitting here listening to it, I, I'm taking notes in just about what I could learn simply from Father's words and something that really does stand out to me, and I'm sure this is something that got your attention too, but it's amazing how easy it is to put your faith slightly on the back burner just due to busyness and activity. And that's that's coming from somebody like yourself with such a strong faith background in a family that has a rich history in love for the Lord, and you're even recognizing that, hey, at moments, it's not at the forefront. One at, at age 15. <laughs> those, are, those are questions that I didn't even come to consider until much later in life. And so I think that's what really struck me, is that God acted in that moment, and you can look back and recognize today that that was providential. That, oh, absolutely. That you were where God wanted you. Everything from what my mom was going through to that it happened on a Friday and that there happened to be no one golfing at a country club on a Saturday and a Sunday that needed a caddy. Um, As a golfer, I can vouch for the yeah, rareness of yeah. that. Miraculous it, it was, nature. Yeah, it was it was remarkable. You know, I just sat there for, for two straight days, essentially, and did nothing. And, and yeah, it, 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 looking back on it, just the, the work of the Holy Spirit and kind of doing a deep dive you could say that day into my life, rather than just kind of skimming the surface, there was probably more depth to my to my thought there and my reflection than at many probably any other point in my life, honestly. Yeah, because as you said, it's a deep question that not many young people at that age have to deal with. And you know, thanks be to God, it, they stayed in the hypothetical at that time, but it was certainly a a, a deep dive that I didn't expect, and one that ultimately brought me a lot of fulfillment uh, and peace. When you decided to enter the priesthood, when you decided to go to seminary, what was the reaction of your family? <laughs> My mom's words were, well, I'm not surprised. Um, <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was her first words. They were, they were obviously thrilled. Uh, my sister was the first person that I told, and <laughs> then I, I immediately I told her, I said, don't tell mom because she'll freak out. Um, <laughs> That, that act that did happen, yeah. Uh, I'm also blessed. I mean, my extended family, very, I mean, people who still practice their faith uh, for the most part, and even the folks who kind of have fallen away were, were just very, very, you know, proud of, of, of just having a priest in the family and very you know, happy for me. Even the people that I was kind of scared to tell turned out to be some of the more awesome conversations, honestly. It turned into... They were they were seemingly more happy for me than than other folks that I would have anticipated. Every everything from like 
like like my doctor to just all kinds of all kinds of different people that you just have to tell because you right. know because like seminary to go with all kinds of medical stuff and he's like oh what do you need this for I'm like well uh, I'm going to be a priest <laughs> <laughs> so I mean there's just so many people that you you just have to tell and I mean to a man all of them were positive honestly they were which is a great blessing and a lot of mm-hmm. seminarians or potential seminarians unfortunately don't get that kind of support from their families oftentimes. They can be downright hostile, and and I, and it's happened. I know of a couple seminarians right now who, uh, initially, their families were not on board, and they've come around. Thankfully, uh, when you see just how happy and fulfilled, you know their their son or their friend is uh, to be there, it, it you you see it and you realize, okay, this is this is what this person's meant to do. But yeah, I was incredibly blessed with a supportive family, extended family and friends. What was the what was the peer support like? Well, I was I was lucky in that at least at high school I was not the only one that was going into the diocesan seminary, and we had another guy enter the Jesuits. He's since discerned out, but the other guy from my class who was going into the diocesan seminary uh, was actually in my homeroom, uh, and he was just ordained this past May. Father George Staley is probably my, one of my closest friends, so we were in the same homeroom together for four years, uh, and we didn't really know until later on that we reached discerning. It was kind of one of those awkward like, "Hey, are you?" Like, yeah, are, are you doing that thing? You know, just, just <laughs> no one wanted to actually like say, are you discerning the seminary? Um, but, but yeah, so peer wise, it was, it was, it was incredible. You know, a lot of, a lot of guys, you know, even guys that I didn't really talk to much in high school were just saying, Hey, it's, it's really cool that you're doing that. I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm proud of you. And I'll, I'll pray for you. And, you know, I knew I was doing something that was very unique among my classmates, especially my first year of seminary. I'm just looking at all their Facebook pictures and like, well, I'm not doing those things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not going to football games every every weekend. But, but yeah, it, it, it was the whole thing was was quite remarkable in that people were were so supportive. When I knew I I figured, okay, there's going to be some people who who give me a hard time for it or or who try to talk me down from it. But I really, honestly, didn't experience any of that. Thank God. We've had some conversations in the past with others that have entered into the religious life. Sister Maria Colby comes to mind specifically in Father's comments about when he went to seminary and could really, truly, authentically just be himself and be yourself. Right. I think that is just an incredible gift because you're, you do have a big personality. You <laughs> Admittedly, are. Yes. <laughs> You're you're very energetic, and that's a blessing. Let's yeah. be clear. Yes, and thank God for that. And you know what? That's a great point. That you find people who love the Lord the way you do. Yeah, what a gift that is. I I've known other uh, now priests, uh, seminarians, whose families have been less supportive, and the families are not intending to do something evil. Right. They're, they are trying in their minds to save you from a life that they think is going to make you unhappy. Correct. And then when they see the witness of, you know what, that's just the opposite. Absolutely. Uh, honestly, that's for a lot of families that do come around that seeing that is what, what does it, you know, seeing, you know, the, the seminarians that'll come over on a Friday night to play cards or to watch a game or just to have pizza. We're just like, oh, you know, what are you doing on spring break? Oh, we're, we're traveling down to this place with with with, the, with my buddies. You see that the, that you know their son isn't alone. That they aren't lonely. That they aren't you know just suffering the entire time. Uh, that they become more perfectly themselves, and that they, that they're hap- happier than they were even before they entered. 
and, and that's a significant thing. That's a great witness that I know you give to the kids today, but also there are different opportunities to meet seminarians. I'm thinking of like Kenrick Glennon days. Oh, yes. Or as you were talking about seminarians coming back to the high school, those sort of experiences that really demonstrate that, you know what, this is not a, a step down <laughs> from no. married. And you can find plenty of married folk who are far less happy than Correct. The, <laughs> than the seminarians sure. or the priests, you know? Well, and I'm inspired listening to you talk about being more perfectly yourself because I think that's an aspiration. We all have, whether we realize it or not, really understanding how to be the best. I, I'd, I'd go to Matthew Kelly, you know, how do you be the best version of yourself? You need an Australian <laughs> accent to do that. Right. <laughs> that I don't have, mate. <laughs> Is that like half and more perfectly yourself? That was there. You go. That was better. That was much better. <laughs> we'll edit out mine and keep his. <laughs> Father, you mentioned your mom. Yes, and I know a little bit about your mom, and and you've mentioned her involvement within Saint Ferdinand, and you mentioned playing the piano for her. I, I know she is somebody that gives talks on a regular basis. She's very dedicated to her faith, living just a tremendously authentic, faithful life. Talk about her influence. Sure. Yeah. So my mom, well, actually, both my parents actually had a, a bit of a reversion back to the faith. I mean, they were all, uh, this is around 2002, 2003. They've always, you know, we've always been Sunday Sunday mass goers for, for years, but uh, my p- folks were some of your typical cafeteria Catholics. You can think of the, you know, the number one issue for most cafeteria Catholics would be contraception. And my mom had a bit of a reversion back to the faith, or at least a deepening of her faith, discovering the beauty of the theology of the body from John Paul II, specifically through, you know, some Christopher West books. And so she, once she realized, like, okay, this is, there's a beauty, there's a joy to uh, the Church's teachings on authentic love, that she, she really wanted to kind of dive in herself through, you know, daily Mass and reading the daily readings and just praying in our, we had an adoration chapel at St. Ferdinand that, you know, Mom would go to every day after morning Mass while we were in school. And was really just kind of discovering the the height, the breadth, and the depth of of who God is and His plan, uh, but also just the beauty hidden in our Catholic faith. So, I mean, just just from that, I mean, Mom and Dad just we'd find we were ourselves listening to Catholic radio maybe a little bit more in, in the car, or just talking about various topics related to our faith at dinner. And then, yeah, Mom, you know, feeling called to kind of take her story on the road a little bit to talk to other Catholics about. As, as literally her talk is called good news about sex and marriage. I mean, yeah. that there is good news there. And just seeing seeing my parents live an authentic Catholic life was really huge for me too. You know, it, it at least uh, solidified their desire for us to be holy and for us to be saints rather than just kind of being lukewarm or uh, or cafeteria Catholics like themselves. They, they wanted us to be all in just like they were all in. And so seeing that, it, you know, it was, it was kind of a, a bit of a, what would you call it more of like a like a high bar you could say but at the same time you know you you just saw in my parents just a uh, their, their you could just tell their marriage just got so much stronger and so yeah it, it was it was very you know just key for us to see someone close to us namely our our parents mom and dad getting getting more involved in their faith and taking it more seriously and and, and being all in rather than kind of being you know half in so well, 
and I maybe I've shared this with you, but we actually, when I was director of faith formation at a parish, we actually had her come speak to our oh, parish wow. in 2000, it was either late 2004 or early 2005. And I know lives that were changed by her talk. We had a dinner talk that she gave. She was the speaker. And I recall this vividly because we were trying to do RCIA on the other side. And she had a microphone. We didn't. But uh, <laughs> My mom normally doesn't need a microphone. Her voice carries. <laughs> well, I don't know what the Much circumstances like are there. But uh, <laughs> she did such a great job. I heard about it. It was one of the first things we had at the parish. And I had so many people whose lives were changed. Wow. I happen to know people who are alive today because of her words. Wow. So it's what a blessing she is. She she also has a radio program. Yeah. Uh, Pearl of Great Price. It's, uh, it's really about vocations, uh, interviewing various people about how they came to figure out their vocation and their calling from God. So she'll interview priests, deacons, lay people, older vocations, early vocations, you know, just anything involving how do we live out God's call and what that looks like in all kinds of different perspectives. It's uh, that's that's what that's what it's all about. She loves. Uh, she's involved with the Sarah Club of St. Louis uh, and really trying to go out and promote vocations uh, and really trying to help people help people live out their calling. Hey, it's Jim again. You know, I'm the kind of guy that when he finds something really worthwhile, likes to tell people about it. So I wanted just a minute here to tell you about a line of Christ-centered clothing called God's Brand. I personally have several God's Brand items, pullovers, button-downs, a really nice quarter-zip fleece. They're stylish, and they help me represent my faith in everyday life. When you get a chance, check out godsbrand.com. They have all sorts of styles for almost any occasion. Again, they're at God's Brand, all one word, dot com. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. Well, Father, tell us more about your experience in seminary. Do you have any... Uh, I know that seminary life can be a, uh, a fun time. Share some of those stories. Sure. The ones that you can on podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we, al- we always joked that if... Uh, if they ever did like a keeping up with the Kardashian style, just follow seminarians around, it would be the highest rated show on television. <laughs> Seriously, we, we, we always said that. Seminary was seven years of incredible blessings. Just, just an incredible opportunity and just an incredible time in my life. The, the first thing just about seminary is it, it's really, a lot of it is determined by the formators that are there. If you have good formation, if you have good priests and good lay people that are there helping form seminarians, it's going to be a very good seminary, and you're going to have a very good experience. We're so blessed with the seminary we have right now in our archdiocese, Kendrick Lennon, Father James Mason, and Father Jason Schumer, who are, who are doing such an incredible job there. And I had many of them when I was, when I was in seminary. But that, that's really what makes it. And you know, I was formed by some great priests. Bishop Rice was in charge of me for a year and a half, Monsignor Timothy Crone and Father David Skillman, uh, a lot of really, really great men. So that, that's first and foremost, why seminary was such an amazing experience. Um, we, were, we were just formed so well uh, to be priests after the heart of Jesus. But you know, in addition to the formation, uh, there's also academics. I've got two master's degrees from it, uh, master's in divinity, master of arts in theology, along with a bachelor's in philosophy. That's what you really do during college. Um, so academically, very rigorous. We have a really good philosophy program 
at Kenrick, good philosophy breeds good theology. Bad philosophy breeds bad theology. That's really the foundation for it. It's a philosophy program started by Cardinal Burke when he was here in St. Louis. He brought it in-house, hired our own professors. We kind of broke off from St. Louis University, and we were able to do our own program, and it's really, really good. But yeah, in in addition to the academics, in addition to the prayer, in addition to the just general formation that happens, there's also just good, good people there good fraternity. We joke that seminary is a pious frat house. Um, <laughs> some days it could go a little bit on that spectrum of, of piety or, or fraternity. Um, some days maybe more than others on, on different sides of that. It, the fraternity I experienced in seminary is truly one of a kind. Uh, it's everyone there striving for the same goal of holiness and figuring out what it is God wants us to do with our lives. And so it's a place where you could literally go from playing football to, hey, let's go pray a rosary, and then let's go out for dinner, and then let's end the evening with night prayer. There's a beautiful balance of the ordinary and the extraordinary, or the the, the natural and the supernatural. And it's, it's, it's just such a great, you know, it, it's seamless. It's seamless between all of those things. It's, it, it doesn't seem incongruous. It doesn't seem kind of disjointed, like, oh, this, you know, that doesn't seemingly fit. No, it all just naturally kind of fits together. And, and yeah, it's, and it, it's, it's a blast as well. Everything from our, our softball games we would play beginning and the end of the year, I would provide color commentary and mercilessly mock everyone out on the, on the field. <laughs> uh, it's a seminary tradition. Oh, gosh. We would always throw some good pranks at each other once in a while. Probably my best one. This one, this one actually involves a former deacon at our parish, now Father Patrick Russell, a good friend of mine. We were freshmen, and it was around the end of the year, and at the time, the seminary was being renovated, and we were going to have to move out for a year. So there were hundreds of moving boxes around the seminary, hundreds of them that you know, would say, hey, we've got more moving boxes. If you need to box up some stuff, go grab some boxes. And I was out that night being a good older brother attending my sister's musical at Koryezu High School. And I get back at about 11.30 on a Saturday night. We had gone for ice cream afterward to find that they had boxed up my entire room. Oh. Every single item had been boxed up. And it, and it wasn't like efficiently packed either. It was one book in one box, one sock in another box. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'd open up every box. In addition to that, and then they stacked them up. They decided we're going to put a bunch of empty boxes in there too. So they literally stacked wall to wall to the roof. I mean, the room we're in right now is what about like 10 by 12, give or take. Sure. Give or take literally the entire room. You open the door and just a wall of boxes. (laughs) They hadn't done you any favors. They did not do me any favors. They left me a small mattress, a change of clothes and some soap and shampoo in another room on the ground. Like here, here you go. You can, you can sleep over here tonight. (laughs) Well, I, I was, uh, I was living naturally and, uh, decided to get them back. So what I did was I went around the seminary taking pictures of any of like the valuable but non-religious items. So like a pool table, coffee maker, computers, china, couches. And it, like we had a PS4 or a PS3 and just took pictures of all of them and advertised them on Craigslist at rock bottom prices <laughs> and put... Uh, the two main perpetrators, I made their cell phone numbers as the only contact information. So they got bombarded with, <laughs> uh, I was told later, hundreds of phone calls and text messages asking if they can get a new 42-inch TV for $150 <laughs> or a piano for 60 bucks. <laughs> so that was a pretty good one. We, we realized afterward, like, 
Maybe we should not get into a prank war because this could only get worse and one of us could get in some serious trouble. Once you start escalating, there's no yeah, stopping. It's, it, and, and that was already a pretty high bar. So you're going to escalate from that. I mean, yeah. it, you, you could, could, could be very, very bad. Did you guys actually sell anything? No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. It's like putting out a classified ad. But uh, Oh, yeah. That, that, was, uh, that was one of my favorites. Gosh, any others? That's awesome. Just, honestly, some of the best moments I had in seminary were just late at night just talking with, with some guys. It happens a lot in seminary, just good, solid, fraternal conversation, just whether it's about faith, whether it's about our lives or just the church or anything, we'd, you'd find, especially on weekends, guys would just stay up late, you know, at a table down in the cafeteria or out in one of the lounge areas or up on the, the, the deck on the second floor, the rooftop deck, guys would just hang out and talk. Uh, and they're just real conversations, depth to them, by the end of it, you're like, wow, this this was really a life-giving conversation. It was enriching. And, you know, those were some of the best times. It was all kind of organic in a sense. It just kind of happened on its own on a, on a Friday or a Saturday night. You'd just be out there talking. And those were just incredible conversations and uh, really, really enjoyed them. I think many of us can relate to a, a fraternity, whether a true Greek system in college or the fraternity of a team, there's that common bond, yeah. that brotherhood, as you describe, as, as I'm thinking about this when you're walking through the depth and the richness in this journey that you are all on, I think about how powerful that must have been because the trajectory you're all on is aimed in relatively the same direction. Correct. When you think about a fraternity or a sorority in a traditional Greek system, you might have the common bond of that particular house. But really, every individual is chasing down a different pathway of life, whether it be music or the arts or education or healthcare or whatever the case might be the tapestry is being woven with so many different angles. Our fraternity at the seminaries uh, originated in the chapel. That That's where it emanates from. Um, it's a, it's yeah, that common objective. And, you know, seminary can be a bit of a roller coaster experience. You, you have some really great highs, but you also have some really, really deep lows just through the ongoing, you know, of, of being formed of kind of a chiseling away of that, which is not of God. And, to have brothers there who are going through the same thing, who are all experiencing the same thing. We, we always joked that it's the closest thing you get to the military almost just in terms of just that common experience, that common we're in this together. And you know, if you, if you're going through a really rough time, chances are there's somebody else who's probably been through something on that same level, maybe not on the same exact thing, but some, a similar high or a similar low. And just the ability to relate to each other and to empathize with each other in the midst of, you know, amazing, uh, amazing highs and even amazing lows was, was something that was, it's so unique. There's a greater profundity, a greater depth to it than, than in the Greek system, I think, because again, it's, it's, everything's oriented toward that one goal to the same thing. I can't, I can't remember there's a philosopher and someone that I should know. (laughs) (laughs) but uh, who talks about the depth of a friendship is related to the depth of your common bond. Right. 
And and maybe you remember who this could was. Could have been Aristotle. I, actually, I, I think it is. Yes, I think it is. Yeah. Well done. And so if you have like a work relationship where your common bond is whatever you do for work, that relationship is not going to be, it's just not going to have the same depth as a marital one or, but you're describing a relationship that's based on the bond of serving Jesus Christ. Correct. And so it doesn't get deeper than that. Yeah. The it, eternal. Yeah. It, it's uh it's an incredible bond. It's, it's, it's you're right. It, the, the, the commonality is so different than any other friendship you could have or any other work experience. And my, my brother priests are way more than work colleagues, even though I can say that a dinner with them is a dinner with work colleagues for tax purposes. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it, it's, it, it, it's a real brotherhood. It's a, it, the, one of the church documents describes it as an intimate sacramental brotherhood. It's woven together by the sacraments. It's woven together and held together by the Eucharist and 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 the power of ordination. You know, priests who run into each other, whether it's like at an airport or anywhere, you can just kind of have like the similar look, like, "Hey, how's it going?" And you right. can you you can just tell a lot about it. And you, you can you know, even just the conversation, it, it's a little bit of talk and shop, but everybody kind of knows, like, okay, yeah, it's it's, it's uh, you know, it's Advent. You're probably inundated with confessions right now. You know, it's <laughs> it's. No, no one knows what a priest is going through except another brother priest, and the same goes in the seminary. And you just get exposed to a really great group of people in, in seminary, and it was, you know, just a huge, huge blessing. And my closest friends are, are my buddies from seminary. That's awesome. Well, can you give us a little bit of a behind-the-curtain look at the day in the life of Father Schneier? Yeah, because Today's been nuts. <laughs> <laughs> It's not, none of this has anything to do with you guys. My morning was just insane. Well, I think the, the energy required, <laughs> period, and the on, on your toes, yeah, the good. readiness. You're very much a public figure. Yeah. I have to be on, quote unquote, you know, from a, from a public perspective, yeah, uh, for a lot of the day and many days of the week. That's um, a lot. That, that's got to take a tremendous amount out of you. It can. It can. Uh, so you, you really have to work, make sure you're taking adequate time off. I mean, because if you don't, if you're uncareful, you can, you, can, you can burn out. Honestly, you can. So uh, it starts for me in the morning with uh, time with the Lord. So it depends on what mass time I have. If I have the early mass, like 630 I'll do my holy hour after mass. If I have the eight o'clock mass, I'll do my holy hour before. I'm not going to be crazy and get up at four thirty in the morning and do a holy hour. I'll do it after mass because I have time to do it then. But I want to spend some time with in prayer with the Lord each morning, whether that's again immediately at mass or or in liturgy of the hours. Especially, it's the daily prayer of the church. Priests and religious pray at, at various times throughout the day. We're required to pray it five times a day. So this morning, I actually had mass for our Nashville Dominican sisters in the convent. That was at six fifteen. Uh, so I got up a little early, wanted to give myself a little bit of a cushion in case hit the snooze button and uh, found my way back to sleep. But I got up. Normally, I try to check Twitter and see what happened overnight. That kind of gets my mind going, whether church news or anything international. Uh, I like to do that just to kind of read and get my mind working. So then I offered mass for our sisters and then went back to, to the rectory, did kind of a mini holy hour this morning, probably about 45 minutes or so. I'm going to spend a little more time in quiet this afternoon with that. But I got the Office of Readings and Morning Prayer in as well, got a quick breakfast, and then uh, went and did a communion call. Either myself or our other associate, Father Nord, we each do a communion call on Friday mornings. So I did that. That was about 8.30 to 9 o'clock. 
And then immediately from there went to our Knights of Columbus Hall and uh, led adoration with our eighth graders on their day of recollection today. A couple kids wanted to go to confession, so heard some confessions there too. That was till about 10.30, 10.45, then went back to the rectory, cleaned up all of that because I had to bring over vestments and you know take stuff back. That's a bit of an ordeal just because we have a big campus and dropping stuff off where they need to go can take a little while. Did that, had a little bit of lunch, Went over to the office, took care of a couple loose ends there. Still need to write some thank you notes from birthday presents uh, from a couple days ago. I had my birthday earlier in the week. Let's see. I'm gonna. I need to also get my the rest of my homily done uh, by the end of the day today. I like to have an idea for my homily by Wednesday, draft by Friday. So I'm probably gonna put in a little time in the afternoon on that. I might try to run up to the driving range, hit a few golf balls. I've taken up the game of golf this summer as well. Uh, we also have our new transitional deacon arriving tonight for the weekend, so I'm going to help him get moved in, Then we're going to go out for dinner and just talk shop and just about the parish, and I'll probably run through what a typical Sunday Mass looks like for him tomorrow at some point. Uh, in the meantime, I want to get a rosary in. There, there's also that. Um, <laughs> honestly, most of the time when I pray the rosary, it's when I'm driving in my car. It's a great time to do it. It forces me to take time away from myself. You know, I could be listening to music. To, to give that time to God. Plus, it takes a little while to get to places, especially if I'm going home or going to a Cardinal game, so it's a great time to pray. Sure. But yeah, mo- on most days, honestly, I've got a meeting or two during the day, You know, whether it's someone coming in for spiritual direction, I might have a funeral or something like that. And then in the e- most of my evenings, I either have youth group or I have marriage prep. Uh, I have about 17 or 18 couples that I'm currently preparing for marriage. And... I meet with each of them four times, so it's a lot of meetings and marriage prep. So most of my Mondays and Tuesdays, I've got some type of marriage prep, something going on that night. You packed an incredible amount. It's in, a lot. Most in, people in, think in priests day. don't do anything during the week. I can unequivocally tell you that is false. <laughs> <laughs> I guess planning your day in preparation is a huge deal, time management. Yeah, oh my gosh, absolutely. That's a skill that clearly can't be lacking no, especially at a very active parish such as this. Managing our time is crucial. Budgeting, okay, I need this amount of time roughly to work on a homily to, you know, if someone comes in, just kind of spur the moment, says, hey, can I talk? We generally say, okay, I can give you a half hour because I don't want something to run on super long and then, you know, have to be late to something else. Sure. Uh, and even just making sure I have enough time to rest, that's important too. I have my day off on Thursday. Uh, it's important to really not schedule anything on your day off as a priest because uh, we weekends aren't really off for us. It's kind of a work work days. Do you have Just to bake? Bit. Do you have to bake in kind of some downtime or some flex time during the day? Because I I imagine with walk ins or with a sure. call or or with a need at a hospital or something of that nature that could clearly put a damper on an already it can, very it can. busy schedule. It can late afternoon is generally a good time for that. I'll occasionally go to the gym and work out then. Uh, or sometimes if I don't have anything on in the morning, I'll go after morning mass. But uh, but yeah, there, there's always generally about an hour you can find in the day. Uh, there's there's a line that a good priest gets up at five o'clock twice a day. So it means you've probably gotten a little bit of a nap in there. But uh, but yeah, well, and even at the end of the night, I can, I can kind of detox. I generally don't schedule a meeting later than eight o'clock. Eight o'clock is the latest I'll ever schedule a meeting so that I can at least have an hour to kind of relax, maybe watch a little bit of the Cardinals or Blues and put on some... Fl- once I put on my flip-flops at the end of the day, like my heart rate goes down a ton. 
it's it's relaxing for me to <laughs> kick off my shoes, throw on my flip flops, and be like, all right, I'm done for the day in terms of servile work, <laughs> you could say. But yeah, it's it's relaxing for me to sit down on a recliner and you know catch up on some news articles or work on work on a homily. Even that is can be relaxing at the end of a day. So. Up at five twice a day. Have you ever heard this rumor about a hierarchy of naps? Yes. Uh, we, we joked at seminary, there, there's a hierarchy of naps based on the length of the nap. Much like, so a lot of seminarians like the uh, the traditional Latin mass. I have an affinity for it myself. And in the traditional Latin mass, you kind of had levels of solemnity attached to it based on some of the bells and whistles you would have. So your t- typical low mass would be a daily mass. You'd have uh, Misa Cantata, which is mass with music. Pontifical mass required a change of vesture. The priest would get vested at mass. A, a solemn high mass would be, you know, with deacon and subdeacon and all kinds of different stuff. So at seminary, we jokingly had a, a hierarchy of naps. Uh, there was a low nap that was 30 minutes or less. A uh, pontifical nap required a change of vesture. So if you changed clothes, got out of your your your, your clerics, and you you know just threw on some shorts and a t-shirt, just go to sleep. That was good. A napa cantata was a nap with music playing in the background. Um, <laughs> and uh, solemn high nap was about a solemn high nap was an hour. The highest was a pontifical solemn high nap with the dedication of a bed. That's at least two <laughs> hours. Play on with the dedication of an altar. That's a nice. very long ritual in the church, but. Uh, yeah, we, we had a we jokingly had a hierarchy of naps. We we had all kinds of weird ways of referring to things in <laughs> seminary. You had a hierarchy of naps. You had all of our parties were called gauds, G A U D S, short for the Latin word <laughs> gaudiamus, which means let us rejoice. So we'd say well, we have the Super Bowl gaud. We're having a flash gaud tonight. You know, with an hour's notice, we got wine and cheese. We would have you know all, all kinds of Halloween gaud, Mardi Gras gaud. Yeah, just a lot, a lot of stuff like that. Weird ways of referring to things that you get in seminary. A lot of random mass references that only seminarians would get. I probably say the words "it is right and just" a lot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, it, it, some 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 of the jargon, especially at seminary, is very a lot of inside jokes. Uh, hierarchy of naps would be one of them. So a low nap sometimes does the trick for me. Uh, although on a Sunday afternoon, occasionally I'll do a pontifical solemn high nap <laughs> and just cut myself off from the world for two hours and then get ready for youth group on Sunday night. So, oh goodness gracious! So you're 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 a night you're a night owl though, right? As weird as it is, yeah. I u- I honestly used to be a morning person, but then seminary turned me into a night owl, which is generally the opposite because I meet about eighty percent of my parishioners in the morning. Yeah. Um, so I, I've turned into a night owl because I, I hated at seminary any time that I had homework and we would get a lot. I hated leaving homework on the table for the next morning. So I would, I'd be up late working on it just get it done the night before, then I'll go to bed. Never had to pull an all-nighter, thank God. But there were many nights we'd be up past midnight, you know, burning, burning the midnight oil, especially getting into finals week of uh, work, working on uh, academic stuff. So that turned me into more of a night owl. Then you have to get up and, you know, for, for chapel and be in there by, by 6 a.m., uh, especially in the college. So, yeah, we jokingly called seminary eight years of sleep deprivation. So as you have uh, grown up in St. Louis, there are certain requirements for continuing to live in the city. One of them is to be both a, uh, a well, there are three that I can identify. One of them is to love the Cardinals. Yes. One of them is to love the Blues. Yes. And one of them is to dislike intensely Stan Kroenke. Correct. Can you speak on those? Correct. Oh, I can. I can. <laughs> uh, 
first uh mr cronky i always joked he looks like pablo escobar the uh the the <laughs> colombian drug lord with his mustache and clearly a, a hairpiece um <laughs> like a saturday morning cartoon villain but uh no yeah uh, stan cronky not not great i was i was at the game uh it was a blues game right after the rams announced they were leaving and they had a uh, Tom Stillman, the owner of the Blues, and Bill DeWitt, owner of the the Cardinals, come out and drop the first buck, and everyone, everyone was. Uh, oh, I chanting, remember that. Everyone was chanting against Stan Kroenke, including myself. Uh, <laughs> it was great. Uh, it was very cathartic. Uh, I don't know, like what stage three of the grieving process, anger. <laughs> that was uh, that was me at the time. Um, so yeah, uh, great dislike for Stan Kroenke. Was very happy. As weird as it is to say, to see the Patriots beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. Uh, any anyone but Kroenke. I mean, even even Brady and Belichick. I will take that any day of the week. That's um, saying a lot. It's I saying mean, a lot. Yeah. It's saying a lot. Uh, you, it's it's you know the evil empire. Yeah, it's like pulling for Darth Vader. Exactly. <laughs> but you have to do it. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Cardinals and Blues uh, grew up huge fans of both of them my, my dad is a huge sports fan he played a ton of sports as a kid uh, earliest memories honestly going to cardinals and blues games with him cardinal again huge huge baseball fan he played baseball for uh, for about 12 years from when i was about three or four years old through my sophomore year in high school my junior year uh, became team manager for slew high and loved that just really learned a lot about the game especially those last two years what goes into managing and just the thought process how cerebral baseball is so I, I love watching games. I, I think a little bit like a manager, you know, just from that experience. And uh, so many great memories of going to great games. I was I was at Mark McGuire's 62nd home run game. Um, I was at his 500th home run game. I bet a few playoff games in the last 10 years or so, some really good ones. Uh, we won The night we won the pennant against the Dodgers in 2013, I was there with my dad. That was incredible. Yeah, so, so huge, huge Cardinal fan uh, watching game six. In 2011 was was incredible. Bishop Rice, we were at the seminary, and Bishop Rice, yeah, I was yelling. I think it was when Matt Holiday got picked off, and uh, <laughs> I have a good memory too about this. Uh, I think it was when Matt Holiday got picked off, and I was yelling, and he just goes, "John, go pray a rosary. <laughs> like, just go away, pray a rosary, and come back when you're feeling better." Uh, we we ended up by the end of the night, we were all rubbing his bald head for good luck. Uh, <laughs> felt weird doing that to a bishop of the church, but hey, it, it got us a world championship. So. Um, and then obviously the blues. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty incredible run this year. I, I've been a huge blues fan. My dad used to be a season ticket holder before the first lockout. And I probably went to about, uh, about a dozen games or so a year with him. So, I mean, I've, I've seen the ups and the downs for the team, uh, every year getting constantly disappointed in the playoffs, but which is so cool this year with, with the blues winning the cup, got to touch the cup, uh, was at a restaurant at Creef Court. got some Intel that the cup was going to be there. It was about 1030 on a Friday night. So I kind of dropped what I was doing. I was going to go to bed ran out to, to, to this establishment <laughs> called the hive which i learned was kind of a dive bar but uh it was i've right been a, there you have you've been <laughs> there i have been there uh, it's right across it is. it's right across the street from the apartment complex that craig baruby apparently lived in so he and the coaching staff brought it to his neighborhood bar and there was about 150 people outside the bar who couldn't get into the bar and oh my gosh just yesterday uh, my wife and i had the opportunity to have our picture taken with the guy. wow so yeah. that's incredible yeah Strangely enough, I'll be with Lord Stanley tomorrow evening. Oh, is that right? Yes. Look at yeah. us. Ah, uh, the trifecta. We'll post all of these selfies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, getting to getting to touch the Stanley Cup made my summer. Father, I know Jim has one more question before we're going to close out the podcast sure. today. But before we get to that question, I do have one more question about sure. the rosary. Okay. So you mentioned you pray the rosary 
while driving often. Yes. I, I've heard a lot of folks mention that. When you're praying the rosary, does part of your reflection involve you not having a lead foot? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, a, that's a very pointed question there. No. Uh, you mentioned I, it in the homily. Oh, so I did. I, I did. Fe- I figured it, that's fair This game. is public record. This is public record. No, I, I'm very type A. I'm very, I'm a very active kind of guy. I move pretty quick. I love to multitask. I love to, uh, you know, move quickly in life. So a lot of times I'm rushing from event to event. My mom is the exact same way. I get it straight from her. And both of us, both of us have massive lead foots. My mom has essentially given up speeding for, for the rest of her life. It's, it's almost, I mean, it, it, it's really, really crazy to drive in the car with her now because she's driving the speed limit. It just feels so slow. <laughs> But I mean, she's following the law. But no, I there are, yeah. I, I always try to. You realize, like, oh my gosh, I'm praying the rosary and I'm I'm going eight over. I should probably take it down a few. There was been one time where a cop has been very generous to me when I showed him my ID. He he's like, you got to be kidding me. Are you you're, you're actually a priest? And I'm like, <laughs> yes. My insurance has the Archdiocese of St. Louis on. I was like, all right. Just, you know, I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> uh, he told me that there are apparently people that do get their uh, driver's license pictures taken wearing clerics so that they can, what? in theory, get out of tickets. Yes. Oh he told me goodness. that. Yeah. So I, I, I was wearing him and he, he had mercy on me, but it was, it was a good reminder that I need to drive slowly, especially when praying, because that would sort of not correspond. <laughs> I had a finger rosary uh, for, for that one. Well, that seems like an answer to prayer. It, it was very yes. much an answered prayer, yeah. and I prayed the rest of my rosary for any intentions that that uh, officer of the law had. <laughs> fitting. That seems fitting. Yeah. All right. So we've had listeners who have asked us uh, how they could hear more clearly the Lord in their lives. So I pass that question on to you. What recommended steps do you offer for those listeners? Sure. The first thing I would say is we need more silence. Uh, Cardinal Robert Sarah has a great book uh, called The Power of Silence. He's a wonderful, wonderful man, a great voice in our church we, that we need to hear. He's from Africa, an incredible man. He's a great book called The Power of Silence. The subtitle is Against a Dictatorship of Noise. And I often find in my life, whenever, you know, it's been a couple days where I really haven't had a lot of good time in prayer, it's probably been because I've been too busy. And even my time in prayer, it's been me kind of going over my day and just thinking about various things I have to do. The more silence we have and real authentic silence of, you know, almost putting the phone in another room and just you and God and not having any noise, not thinking about what's coming up next on our calendar, but real authentic silence. It's almost, it's almost intimidating. You think that an hour has gone by and then it, it's you know, been 10 minutes, you know, if, if you really haven't been silent for a while. But to not have our minds occupied with anything else in front of us, but to just have that time with God is so, so crucial, I think, to hearing his voice, because that's how God works. You know, my vocation story wasn't, you know, God knocking me off my horse or hitting me upside the head with a two by four or yelling at me. It just kind of happened gradually over time. If you look at how nature grows, plants, they grow in silence until, you know, after a few weeks, you're like, oh, there, there, there's, there's something that's happened there. That's the same with how God works, uh, especially even in my vocation. You know, we uh, we have to have silence if we're going to hear God's voice. That that's first and foremost. And the second thing that I rec- probably recommend 
the thing I recommend most often after silence is to make a good examination of conscience at the end of the day. It's built into my life. It's part of night prayer for the liturgy of the hours. We uh, kind of do a brief penitential rite at the beginning of night prayer. But you just go over the day, and sometimes it you know takes a minute or two if your day has been pretty simple. But just to thank God for the good and ask pardon for all evil. That's literally what it entails. Thank God for the good, ask pardon for all evil. And when you do that, you're more likely to look back and you're, I just tell people, go go start at the beginning. Okay, I woke up, then I you know ate breakfast, and then did this, this, and this. What it allows us to do is to look back and see where God's hand was during the course of that day, the blessings, and, and to thank God for it. And be like, wow, you were there. Thank you. And maybe we can also look back and see where where we responded to that properly, and then maybe other times where we didn't. And what that'll enable us to do is, as opposed to maybe after the fact, it'll help us to recognize God's presence more closer to that moment, rather than, again, after the fact. And when when we do that on a daily basis, we'll we'll notice patterns in our conduct, patterns in our actions, uh, good habits that we have versus bad habits. And you'll also not, not, you know, notice patterns over the course of you know, weeks and months. And that helps us to be able to really take stock of our lives and to see, okay, where is it that I need to go? And that voice, that examination, that, that, that's the voice of God the Father, uh, helping us to, to examine our lives, but also to you know, conform them more closely to Him. It's all about conformity. Uh, as a priest, we're called to conform our hearts to the sacred heart of Jesus. That's how Christ loved. He loved on the cross uh, from his heart, uh, and he allowed his heart to be pierced. And every priest is called to conform his life to, to Christ on the, on the cross, and especially in his heart. Uh, that's why I have a huge devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus, why it's on the back of one of my vestments. But it, it, it's really about what's going on in my heart. Where has my heart been today? And looking back at where God was and where we responded versus where we didn't, and resolving to, to be faithful to him the next day. So yeah, that's that that that's probably what I recommend to people most: silence and then examination of conscience. I remember one time in seminary, I, I was really you know my mouth can get me in trouble a lot. I was struggling a lot, just kind of being kind of kind of domineering and overbearing in conversations. And I, at the end of each lunch, I've noticed I was doing it a lot at lunch or at meals. At the end of each meal, I would kind of do a brief examination of how that meal went. Like okay. How, how really, how was I during that meal? Was, was I just brash and talking too much, you know, or was I at least, you know, part of the conversation and didn't, didn't try to stick myself out there. And after a few months, I noticed that things kind of got a little bit better for me uh, on that habit. And I attribute that a lot to just the examination that I, that I kept doing and, but also being responsive to, to God's promptings there. So you, you, you can put any other habit in there for anyone that they're looking at trying to, to either uh, reinforce or to get rid of. And just examining our conscience and having silence will be a great way to, uh, to figure out where God's leading us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Blazing Bush Podcast. Be sure and check out our website at blazingbush.com, as well as follow and like Blazing Bush on Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, God bless.